listening to another episode of Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. Today's episode is part of a series in the Christian and mental health. Two episodes ago, we posted our live panel discussion hosted at Grace Community Church here in Andrew, North Carolina. We spent time with Ben McGuire, Jamie Criswell, and David Dermott talking about the Christian and mental health, hearing from their different perspectives, from biblical counseling to marriage and family therapy to psychology and psychotherapy. Today's conversation is with Jamie Criswell to continue to follow up on what it means to be a marriage and family therapist and about her practice at Foundations Family Therapy located in Fuquay. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the last episode with Dr. Dan Clement from Triangle Community Church, please take time to listen to his take on biblical counseling. It's really informative, and I'm glad we were able to spend time in conversation. I'm very grateful that I got to sit down with Jamie Criswell for more follow-up after our panel discussion. There were a lot of interesting stories and troublesome definitions that we were all able to wrestle with on the panel. But I was really glad to be able to sit down with Jamie and continue to work through some of those things. Jamie is the founder of Foundations Family Therapy, and you can find more information and a link to their website in the description. There's also a helpful resource that we found that she has shared with me, and the link is also available in the description that provides some definitions of these terms that we've been throwing around. Again, if you have any questions about anything that we discuss in this episode or in previous episodes, please send an email to gracematters at graceccnc.org. So here's my conversation with Jamie Criswell. A couple weeks ago, we were able to have our panel discussion where uh, Ben McGuire and David Dermott and Jamie Criswell joined us for um, the Christian and mental health. And it was a really great conversation, but it was super short, uh, bringing in three... Um, articulate and experienced folks and then giving them functionally 20 minutes each is not terribly fair and we recognize that so um, we want to supplement our podcasts with some further conversations so if you haven't listened to the conversation with Dan Clement from uh, just a couple weeks ago as well take time to listen to that he gives a uh, description of biblical counseling and he helps us work through some of those definitions and think through like, his journey of how he got drawn into biblical counseling and how they practice it at their church. Uh, it was really informative. And we're really grateful for Dan's ministry in our community. Uh, I'll similarly have a conversation with David Dermott soon um, to follow up on his practice of psychology. Uh, but today I'm sitting down with Jamie Criswell, who founded Foundations Family Therapy here in Fuquay, which also has a Raleigh office. But uh, we're able to camp out in one of the offices today and have uh, a little bit further conversation about um, what it is that Jamie does through Foundations Family Therapy and then kind of tease out some more of these definitions and, and uh, work, through th- work through some of those questions that we had from the panel as well. So thank you, Jamie, for taking time. Yeah, absolutely. Um have you had any more time to think about a couple of these questions that we had in the Q&A time at the panel? One of them was, how do you define mental health? And I feel terrible that we didn't preemptively include that. Like, I didn't, I didn't think about that and even titling the thing, the Christian and mental health. So, 
So yeah, what what is mental health? Yeah, it was a great question, and and honestly, one that um, we really don't get asked a lot, which is sort of weird when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was given some some more thought to it, and you know, initially it was like I think when you hear mental health, so often there's a negative connotation around it. Like it, it almost assumes it's um, something's wrong. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like mental health, mental illness, I think gets sort of exchanged yeah. equally sometimes, and so. Um, but really when I was thinking through it, I'm like, it really should be no different than how we look at physical health, right. Or how we, how we kind yeah. of just think of that in, in overall terms. And, um, I guess some differences would be is that with physical health, you know, we can go and get our blood work done. We can sort of look at different markers in our body to determine, okay, our cholesterol is pretty good. Or maybe we need to, you know, look at our A1C levels or whatever. Yeah. Um, mental health is obviously a little different in that there's no set standardized, like, test, certainly not a blood test where you could look at and go like, oh, you're feeling this way or that way. Um, But really there are some, some guidelines or markers, I guess, when you're looking at overall mental wellness. And so some of the things that, that I may look at would be, um, you know, how do we handle stress like on a day-to-day basis? Okay. Um, So like in what ways then? So what is a healthy way of handling stress that becomes the marker? Yeah. So, um, in anything, we're looking at how much is impacting your overall functioning. Okay. Right. So we all deal with stress, right? We live in a yeah. really high, high paced, um, society that is, um, that values work and values just busyness, I think. And yeah. so any of that can contribute to stress. Um, even, even one thing that we don't always think about is stress can come from good things too, right? Like we all love our children. They're awesome and amazing. They definitely yeah. cause us stress. Yeah. Um, moving into a new house is exciting and a good event most of the time, but can cause stress. So right. even good things can cause stress. Um, and so handling it appropriately, if that's a good word, um, or or in a way that feels like it's it's leaning towards mental wellness would, would be um, where it's not impacting your functioning, where it's not getting to the point where you sort of shut down and go into like a flight or fight mode where it's either, um, you know, I just can't do anything. I can't, I can't look at the next thing on my list. I can't do the next step because I just can't process anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of a side question, I guess, because as you mentioned, you know, we can test physically, um, you know, a blood workup will give you a picture of a bunch of different things going on in your body. Uh, And occasionally, the terms might be thrown around in conversations about mental health and mental illness, uh, brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. So are there ways of like objectively looking at one's brain chemistry or is that still something that's more treated in terms of um, self-identifying the way that you feel and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So there's, um, it's kind of both. So there are there are certain things that they can look at on okay. brain imaging scans, um, but right now most of those things are for um, schizophrenia. Okay. Um, so they can see different gray matters and stuff in your brain and how it lights up, and and they can gauge from that that a person with schizophrenia typically has this type of brain pattern. Huh. Um, some other work that's been done by Dr. Sue Johnson, um, she is the founder of Emotionally Focused uh, Therapy, okay. um, which is what I use and have been trained in mostly for couples, um, but it can also extend out to families and individuals. But she's done a lot of work with um, brain imaging and scans as well. And so she's noticed that certain areas of your brain light up when you perceive fear or when you're perceiving um, sadness or yeah. things like that. 
Um, and she's done a lot of research with how that area of the brain won't light up if you have someone close to you that's there with you as you're experiencing that. It's really fascinating. Um, huh. And so it just really, you know, speaks a lot to that that attachment connection, which is yeah. um, what her theory is built on is attachment theory. So um, really, really fascinating. But hmm. But as far as being able to gauge other things, you know, Things like depression, um, there's definitely differences in your chemical levels sometimes right. with serotonin and dopamine. Um, How are those tested? So they they can test those, but and I'm definitely not a medical doctor. Right, but right, right. what um, what I've been told is sometimes they're not a great uh, measure. So yeah. Because some, sometimes your, those levels can be off, but it doesn't necessarily represent how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, so a lot of mental health and a lot of what we do is just based on report, is based on the symptomology and, and what you're coming in with and what you're saying and how yeah. you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those are questions I'll bug David about too as a psychologist. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because that's, that's certainly a phrase I've used in the past, whether wisely or not, probably not. Uh, the, the brain chemistry idea because yeah even in imaging you're you're looking you're not looking at a number of measurable chemical in the right. brain you're looking at uh, the functionality so that's that's really interesting yeah. yeah so they definitely can measure certain things like certain chemicals certain hormones right. some I don't know that they can yet or at least it's not like wide stream and yeah it, and it may be one of those things where if you go into your doctor say with you know symptoms of um, depression, they're probably not going to jump to do your blood work, to be right. honest, to test those. And it's probably a multi-level systemic reason behind that. But yeah. um, but I know for research purposes that they will use certain things and that they can also do um, your cortisol levels to test like your, your stress and yeah. in certain situations. So, yeah. yeah, this is definitely still kind of taking a tangent from where I thought we might go, but this is yeah. really interesting to me. So if someone comes in uh, to Foundations Family Therapy, uh, you know, with a marital, um, they're seeking mar- marital counseling. Um, but one of the spouses, you know, has a, a history of depression. Um, like what, what kind of interactions do you as a therapist have with the provider who would be the one testing for things or, or providing medication for that? Like, how does that interaction look for, for on your side as a marriage and family therapist? Right. Yeah. So it's, it really depends. So if we're working truly with a couple, then the couple is the client. Um, and so it would depend on each individual in that couple system as to what they were comfortable with, um, you know, us reaching out with. So typically, if it's an individual, then 95% of the time we're going to be talking with their doctors or their right. other providers, psychiatrists or whoever mm-hmm. that may be, just to make sure that we're on the same page with the diagnosis and with the symptoms that they're reporting to us and what they're seeing, any of the medication. Um, And a lot of that is just because we see them more frequently, right? So for therapy, we often recommend in the beginning that you're coming once a week. And a lot of that is just because you're going to see change quicker um, than if you're spacing it out every two weeks or to a month. Um, Eventually, we try to get to that point. So, but your psychiatrist, you're probably checking in with about every three months. Um, And a medical doctor is probably around the same, maybe, you know, maybe a little more in the beginning if you're, if you're just getting on medications, but, but we're probably seeing you more and probably checking in more on, on the symptoms and what's um, good or bad. And so definitely having that relationship with the other providers is helpful. Um, But it's not necessary if somebody comes in. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessary. If they come in as a couple, it really just depends on how much we feel like or how much the, the, the couple feels like those symptoms are impacting the relationship. Okay. Um, and if they are, and if that person, you know, is not getting individual therapy, 
um, that might be something that we recommend or maybe something that the couple's therapist decides, well, I can see you for a couple sessions um, as it relates to the couple's work, but maybe as it relates specifically to some of the symptoms you're experiencing and then how that relates to the couple's stuff, right? Yeah. Um, Hmm. So, yes, it's sometimes, but not always, I guess would be the answer. So one of the other goals that we had, uh, in addition to kind of defining terms from the panel, was removing stigma. And part of that is, is done just by virtue of having the conversation in the first place. So I was really grateful for Neil kind of leaning out and carving out that space for that Grace Matters panel and for all of you guys who participated. Um, but how, how can we continue, both as just believers who trust the scriptures and the transformative power of the gospel, and as a local church, how can we continue to remove stigma um, around therapy and conversations about counseling and, and about mental health? What kind of ideas do you have? Yeah, so um, I think that just like you just said, we just need to be more open to having conversations about it, right? Like individually, um, corporately, you know, um, and really being able to have some education around it um, as well as normalize it. So, norm- so what could education look like? What kind of things? Yeah, like I think I think what what you know Grace is doing, for example, just having the the panel with different counselors, different therapists to talk about. Okay, well, what do these things mean? What are the different definitions? You know, there's a lot of confusion out there. Um, talking through different diagnoses, but then even on like a pastoral level, being able to come and say, look, like, there's there's times where these may be spiritual issues, right? It may be that God's using certain symptoms that you're feeling in your life to illuminate certain things that maybe need to be changed, or maybe it's, you know, something he's using in a different way. But but oftentimes, you know, going back to what we were just saying, there is it's a chemical imbalance. It's something that's going on in, in your life that um, is is creating functioning issues for you, yeah. right? It's like problems problems in functioning or problems in your relationships. Um, and and I think coming as a church saying like, and it's okay to go get treatment for that, right? Like just like you would normalize going to get treatment for diabetes yeah. or a broken toe or whatever else element. Um, do you feel like the churches in our, this might be a loaded question, but do you feel like <laughs> the churches in our local community you know, in the Fuqua area in Southern Wake County, Northern Harney County are, are going in that direction? Like do you, have you at foundations had good relationships with some local churches? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a loaded question because there's hundreds and hundreds of churches in yeah. our area, right? But yeah. um, we we have had a good experience working with, you know, four or five, a handful of churches in our area that yeah. have reached out or that we reached out to them and um, formed relationships with and who now will, um, will recommend us or, or send people. Some of them will even pay for the services for um, some of the members of their church. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think there's it's heading in that direction. And I think, um, you know, I was one of the pastors that talked to me about coming in and doing a panel for his church as well. Oh, good. Um, before this, but yeah, so I think I think they're trying to normalize it a little bit more. I think they're trying to have that conversation and yeah. open up the dialogue about it. Um, I think pastors, at least in my experience, from the ones that we've worked with, have started to get to the place where they're comfortable forming relationships with other therapists or licensed therapists and in handing it off, which I think could be hard for a while. I think yeah. some churches really like to keep it in house and totally understand that. But I think they're starting to get to the point of, okay, this is out of my scope or out of my wheelhouse. So I'm going to form a relationship with a counseling group that I can trust. And then I know has 
you know, the same values and morals and beliefs. And, and I feel comfortable being able to, to refer to that. Are there particular resources that you, and this may already be on your website too, but are there resources you recommend if a, if a believer comes in and like they're, they're hesitant, like maybe they're, they realize that they would benefit from the help of a therapist, but they still are processing the stigma. Are there like some simple resources or books or, um, or articles that you, that you recommend kind of ease people into removing stigma? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and we could link to this, this kind of stuff later. If you yeah, I can that. definitely probably get you. We do have some resources on our website, but they're more um, crisis related. So I don't know that they would go into this, though. We probably have some blog posts that I'm thinking back over that we have put up that I couldn't pinpoint the name of it okay. at the moment. But um, but I can definitely try to look to get some, some things together for you. Um, but a lot of what we would do if they're willing to come in and even have that initial conversation is just talk through that, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. that's kind of what we do, right. but, um, and, and maybe through that point to some different, some different things. Um, there's, um, there are a lot of, of Christian authors, I guess you would call them that have yeah. written things on just their own experiences and journeys with, you know, marital relationship struggles or infidelity or, um, their struggle with depression, anxiety, things like that. And again, I would have to sort of um, look through some things to put sure. a name on them. But but I know that those are out there, and um, and we have we have recommended some things or or read through them. But but yeah, it's just really having the conversation about well, where does the idea of the stigma come? Because a lot of times, what we right. find is that you know, yes, there has been a stigma about mental health for years and years and years. And I do think over the past five years that that is starting to change in a positive direction. Yeah. Um, but also what we find is sometimes it's just internal. It's, it's sort of your own belief about what other people are going to think. Hmm. So getting more specific then, and even kind of anecdotal, what are some of your favorite stories of folks who have made the step of seeing, seeing therapists and, have experienced change? Yeah. So I love this question because I like, I like thinking through them. And then I'm also reminded that I have to be really careful with <laughs> sharing stories yeah, yeah. Uh, because we live <laughs> in such a small town. Right. Yep. And so yep. even, even de-identifying something sometimes will still be like, Oh, I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. So, um, <laughs> so in thinking about that, I sort of just put together a couple different um, points, I guess that, sure. that sort of stand out to me. And um, I would say that, you know, we have a sort of a continuum, but we definitely have people that come in that are very familiar with therapy and, okay. you know, have even contacted us and said, hey, you know, I'm moving to the area. I need a new therapist because <laughs> I'm leaving my old one. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, we've had that from all the way to, you know, I'm coming in with my wife, but really like she's the issue. She's the problem. And I don't really need to be here, but I'm going to sit here anyway mm -hmm, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so you work with with all of those very differently. I personally like the ones that come in that are. Um, not completely bought in yet because I think it's a good opportunity to, to destigmatize and to yeah. do all those things to show like, Hey, like there's nothing wrong with being here and everybody needs, everybody needs therapy at some point in time. And, right. um, and this can be really helpful. And so I think some of my favorite stories are just having, having those, um, people at the end go like, 
okay, like you really sold me or, you know, you really, you really made this comfortable. Like this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yes, okay. That's a good win. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and we even try a little bit about the destigmatization, but on our website, we have a little portion on there about like, you know, is there a couch? Right. Cause that's part of that stigma is sort of the running <laughs> yeah, joke that, you know, yeah. you're going to have to lay down on the couch and yeah. And tell us your whole life story. Um, and so I say, like, you know, in our Raleigh offices, no. Like, we have four chairs, kind of we do in this room that we're sitting in now. Yeah. Um, in our Fuquay office, we do. And if you want to lay down, like, go for it. But it's <laughs> certainly not required, right? Um, so we try to we, – we, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes, but we try to set it out from the beginning that, like, look, we know coming into therapy is not the most comfortable process in the right. beginning, right? Like, you, you have to learn to trust me, and, and, and I get that that's going to be difficult. Um, and so we, we try to really – meet people where they are and build that relationship first before we dive into things that are going to be really difficult for them to share. Um, but yeah, so that, that's one of my favorite stories. Um, you know, with, with couples and families oftentimes, um, which is where, which I really like working with, um, we will have them do different activities. And so some of, um, yeah, so some of the, the favorite things I do with families for older kids, um, is I will just have, I'll bring in a stack of blank like index cards. And in the first session, I sort of just throw it out there and say, well, I'm gonna, you know, I want you to write down three things that you wanna discuss. Three things that maybe you wouldn't do at home to discuss, but in the okay. safety of here, right? And this usually isn't session one. This is right. after we've built some relationship <laughs> and stuff. Um, and, and then they hand me the cards back. I fold them all up. I don't look at them. And that's my rule is I won't look at them in between session. Um, and I throw them in the middle of the table and I say, okay, go first and we'll see how many we can get through. And so they'll open it up and, it's just, it's, the process is really um, powerful to watch mm. unfold because a lot of times people really go for it. They write some pretty hard stuff and, which I'm, I'm like, good for you, you know, like that's what this is about. And, and they'll pick one and they'll read it out loud. And oftentimes they're not reading their own. Right. And so that can be really interesting too. Mm. Um, because if they're reading something that, you know, is, I wish my spouse would, you know, listen to me better and, right. and they and just the happen to draw that. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, whoa, okay. Um, and then I just help facilitate that dialogue, but it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And I've had families walk away from that and go like, you know, at the end of therapy and when we're sort of wrapping up and, um, and they're getting ready to end, um, like not just for the day for the session, but yeah. like overall, yeah. um, they'll say like, that's one thing we're going to take away from this is we're going to start doing this at home. We're going to, you know, start doing it weekly or whatever, yeah. um, which I think is really awesome. And that's cool. one of the other things I do that I think is really, really um, insightful for people is we do um, like a marital satisfaction timeline. So if you come in for couples therapy, it's one of the things that usually I'll use depending on the situation, but most often um, within the first couple of sessions. And it gives me good insight into the relationship, but it's also really eye opening for the couple. So I'll um, give it to them usually as homework and on a piece of paper and they'll bring it back in. Um, when I was at Fort Bragg, we had these huge whiteboards that um, that we had, which was awesome because I could just like draw it out across the whole thing. But we don't have those here, um, so we just <laughs> we kind of just put the papers, you know, piece them together on the table in front of us or something or on the floor. And yeah. um, but essentially, it's their whole relationship from the time they got engaged or got married, whichever they choose to start with, um, up until you know present day. Okay. And you're looking at main events that have happened, so marriages, births, moves, job, you know, job changes, job losses. Um, uh, anything like that. And 
but then for each event, you're rating not the event, but the satisfaction you felt in your marriage at the time of the event. So the okay. event's really just a placeholder for yeah, your yeah. memory to a go back on to. The timeline. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really it's it's been really fascinating because you'll start to see a pattern or a trend, or you may see an event where you know one partner ranks it really high, and then the other one's really low, and yeah. it's like, huh, what was going on there? And usually that will start, and then you'll start to see the pattern after that yeah. of the satisfaction decreasing. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the event. It was how supported they felt or didn't feel during right. the event. And then how that just carried on because they never addressed it. Yeah. So those are, um, those are just a couple like things that, that huh. I like to do. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, well, I've, I actually have a kind of a curveball for you and you may not have any input on this, but that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a big fan of Myers-Briggs personality typing. Um, I've used that in premarital counseling. Uh, it was very meaningful for me and Sarah when we got married and then to see our Myers-Briggs types change over time. And it's just been helpful categories for conversation. Uh, we also use uh, Gary Chapman's love languages um, because they're just really useful categories to at least get conversation started, even if we may quibble with the details eventually. Um, Currently, Enneagram mm-hmm. is super hot. Uh, I'm slowly getting introduced into it, convinced about its usefulness. Um, some folks are all in. Some folks are still even more hesitant than me. Um, do you have any opinion about the usefulness of those kinds of typings or categories or, or particularly uh, opinion about Enneagram? Yeah. Um, so... Um... I don't know if I have to like turn in my therapist card after this, but like I I know just enough about the Enneagram to like know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I have not like read anything on it or looked to see right. like, which number I am yeah, or yeah, yeah. any of that. Um, I did hear a podcast recently though on grief and how they matched up the the Enneagram with that. And so I definitely think there's some usefulness for it probably okay. um, in our in our world in our field. But it's just I just haven't I haven't delved into it. Um, and I, th- I think the answer to that would probably depend on the therapist and their model and just okay. sort of how they um, conceptualize things and their worldview and, yeah. and whether or not, you know, they find that those things would be helpful. Um, I don't I've never required any of my my clients to like take any of those types of assessments or yeah. Myers-Briggs or anything. Um, but if they know them or if they've um, if they're familiar with them and if it seems like it's something that's important to them, then we'll definitely go there with it. Um so, for instance, if you came in and said, you know, I know I'm a this or this or an Enneagram, whatever, five, right? Like, I would learn enough about it so that we could have a meaningful yeah, yeah. conversation. Or I would ask you, well, how do you think that plays out in your relationship? Or yeah. how do you think those components of your personality, you know, um, impact your your conversations or your dialogue or your patterns of interaction with yeah. your wife? Or, um, you know, I'm familiar really familiar with Gary Chapman's work and use that a lot. In fact, I did a podcast for SAS on that several years ago. Oh, cool. um, and we use the, uh, the five love languages for children as well. Yeah. Um, a lot. And I do personally also. And so I think, um, I think, you know, definitely being able to categorize things sometimes helps us make meaning of stuff, helps us yeah. understand it better. And I think for that reason, like, yeah, it can definitely, definitely be useful. Um, yeah. It's just not something that I've ever really like strived, strived, I guess, to to implement, yeah, right? yeah, like if like intentionally, um, but we have some therapists here that would be all about that. Oh, that yeah. would definitely like probably want to give it to every ther- every client in the waiting <laughs> room and, um, and see how it plays out. So no, that's interesting. That makes sense. Like it, it would depend on your methodology. Yeah. 
Um, and so in premarital counseling that, uh, that I've done and that Pastor Brad does, you know, we each have different methods slightly and like how we're seeking to have those conversations. Yeah. So I do think it's important to vet the tools and that's why I'm slow on the uptake on some of these things. Yeah. For um, sure. Because I just want to make sure I want to take time to vet it. Um, so after that curveball, here's, here's hopefully a softball. Uh, <laughs> what are some definitions that you think get confused by media or by folks who don't have relationships with counseling or therapy and they're just having conversation. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the brain chemistry term like can be misunderstood or misused. Mm -hmm. Are there other terms or definitions that you feel like, especially coming out of the panel, anything we didn't get to fully define or Mm -hmm. anything you feel like gets just really terribly misused? Yeah. I mean, I think we did a a pretty good job of um, defining the differences between like counselors, therapists, the the different um, licensing types, things like that. Um, I feel like that spoke to a lot. Um, One thing we probably didn't mention, which has become, I don't know if it's a new thing, but it's more, um, it's more available, I guess, and and talked about is life coaching or coaching. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think sometimes people could get that confused and I think it gets extra confusing because there are some licensed therapists that also are life coaches, (laughs) right? Which, but there are life coaches who are not licensed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yes, for sure. And so there's not a license or certification that goes along with life coaching. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, essentially anybody can walk out and hang their shingle as a life coach. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely differences between a life coach and a therapist. Right. Um, and and hmm. mainly there's, you know, they're, um, they're sort of just, they're, they're walking alongside of you, which therapists do as well, but they may be more prone to giving advice or feedback or prescriptive types of like, hey, go and try X, Y, and Z, yeah, right? Yeah. Or... Um, or even if they don't take that that directive of approach, it they may not be able to really dive in deeper to underlying um, thought patterns or processes or pathologies or things like that because their training isn't going to allow for that. Yeah. Um, and they may not really be able to dive into, well, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z, and, you know, maybe that has something to do with, you know, something that happened a year ago or whatever. Um, so not that they're they're bad. I'm sure there's some, some great life coaches and I'm sure they're, they're useful and, mm. and things like that. Um, career coaching comes to mind. Like I think that could be really useful or yeah. business coaching, right? right. Like, um, definitely, uh, an avenue and definitely, a um, a place for them. Um, but they're probably not going to have the experience dealing with things like depression, anxiety and yeah. couples relationships and, and stuff like that as a therapist or counselor would. Uh, there's definitely, some weird overlap to kind of figure out between uh, discipleship. So for for those of us who are believers, who are hopefully within a church, a local church family in which discipleship is happening, when we're making disciples and uh, certainly of our, of our kids and of our families, but also of, you know, as Paul describes in Timothy, like the, Older men discipling younger men, older women discipling younger women. If those relationships are happening, there's some weird overlap that then happens when we look at um, the function of a life coach. Mm-hmm. Like some of that, probably if not all of it, should be happening in the context of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Like older men should be coaching younger men on how to be fathers or husbands or or just good workers or whatever. Like, and if that doesn't happen. If there's a deficiency in discipleship, mm-hmm. I think that gives room for 
these some of these things to emerge in the marketplace, as it were. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's some interesting overlap too between you know discipleship and therapy mm-hmm. that. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit in the panel too, and you and I have talked in the past just how to help churches work hand in hand with therapists, so that you know, so that it's not replacing discipleship, but instead working with in right. the context of discipleship with a with the pastor or with you know, in our context at Grace, you know, home group leaders, you know, people who are helping walk alongside folks. Yeah. Um, that you know, therapist, I don't think should replace that no. but instead work with and with within that right um so i think that gets confused particularly in maybe in christian circles mm-hmm. like within our communities um we may misunderstand the function of a life coach or a purpose of a life coach or even the purpose of, of a therapist or a biblical counselor mm-hmm. like all of these um should be working together within the context of walking together in step with the spirit um, as a local church. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Any other random terms, ideas, or definitions you think that we didn't get to hit? That yeah. one's good. Life coach thing. Um, yeah. And, and just to sort of touch on what you, you were saying too, with, um, discipleship and, and the pastoral, you know, part of, um, one of the things I forgot to mention, we were talking about mental health and mental wellness and, and those markers is part of that is um, your coping skills, right? And so like your support group, that community that you would go to. And so um, as well as things like exercise and eating healthy and, you know, right. deep breathing, all the things we hear for everything, yeah. right? Because they work. I mean, they, they are very helpful. Um, but part of that is definitely a support a support network. And I feel like maybe... Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a broad generalizing statement. I was going to say maybe people that don't have discipleship or a pastor or a church family or home group they feel like they can go to may be more apt to lean towards life coaching as a first yeah. rung. Right? Oh, yeah, totally. Because yeah. um, I see that as in, in the church, like that's your function. Like if I'm dealing with something, like that's going to be my first place to go outside of, you know, it would be my home group, right? And, yeah. um, but I think home group leaders and pastors recognizing that again, like there, there may be something that, okay, well we can take you here and we can still walk alongside of you, but I think this might also be really helpful. Yep. So, you know, go, go speak with a therapist or a biblical counselor just to sort of help you get, um, to dive into some deeper pieces that I'm not able to, to do with you yeah. or at least do in a, in a way that, um, might really evoke some change. Right. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So I think working together with that is, is definitely, um, the best approach for sure. Um, Let's see some other yeah so the other thing um, that I was thinking about in terms of diagno- di- definitions wow I can talk today um, is just the diagnoses right so I okay. think in in part in our process of destigmatizing we've started to use terms a lot more frequently okay. right like depression anxiety right. OCD um, things like that bipolar right you hear these terms getting thrown around and I think it's great that we're we're able to put them out there and they're able to talk about them in a way that is destigmatizing. Um, I think the, I think the, the fear, I guess might be that, are we doing it too much in a way that, um, that is diminishing the, the realness of 
the diagnosis, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, yeah. If you lightly use the term bipolar, that's right. that's damaging. Right, right. So, you know, if, if you felt happy this morning and then you're kind of sad this afternoon and you're like, oh, you know, like, yep, just my bipolar kicking in, right? Like, we know that that yeah, is not even close to what <laughs> bipolar is and not helpful. Yeah. Um, or even just using things like, uh, one of my pet peeves is, is people will say, you know, like, Oh, I'm just so OCD, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yep, I get that. What they're defining is more like a type A trait, right? Like right. You like things a certain way. You like to be organized. But um, but OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, is a, is, it is in the anxiety family, but it's a totally different yeah. um, scope of things. And it can be um, hugely impactful in people's functioning and ability to function um, because of, of those obsessions. So That's um, helpful. Yeah. And even anxiety and depression, right? Like we... But anxiety especially probably gets used um, on a daily basis or, or depression. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, it means more than I'm, I'm worried or, right. you know, I have something going on that's causing me some, some stress or anxiety or I felt really sad today. Um, those those true, like, definition or uh, diagnoses of anxiety and depression yeah. are a lot greater than that. Um, and so I think we see that. We even see it in social media, like with the hashtags, like hashtag triggered. Yeah. Right? Like it's, and then give me it's more interesting to kind of think through, and we'll get into some of this uh, at our next Grace Matters panel. We'll be talking about technology in the family. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably end up having some conversations about social media and teenagers after that. So I'm going to have to come back around and hit you up again. Yeah. But uh, the, the ways that, um, you know, the media will talk about, the, the rise of depression and anxiety in millennials mm-hmm. and in Generation Z or whatever. Um, I feel like that, those kinds of clickbait article titles also potentially diminish the weight of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it if our kids are, are, are increasingly sad and worried. Right. But that's different than depressed mm-hmm. and struggling with anxiety at the levels that those things get. Uh, used in in therapy so, like right. so so yeah i i feel like that may be one of those other places where we're lightly using terms mm-hmm. that that ha- that should have some significant weight to them right right which it, in some ways instead of destigmatizing which i think is the attempt mm-hmm. it ends up stigmatizing the true diagnosis yeah. right because then if you truly are diagnosed um, clinically with a you know depression or anxiety then it's almost like you're afraid to say that because it's different than yeah. I'm using air quotes here. Like people can see me, but you know, it's yeah. different than <laughs> the anxiety that you might just throw around. Like, Oh my yeah. kid's feeling really anxious today because you know, they have this spelling test or whatever. Right. Um, and not to diminish that either. It's certainly a real right. fear and it's certainly something that they can work through. And, and we, we do work with that, right? Like even if there's not a, a true anxiety diagnosis, um, th- um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happens in this diagnosis that we use. It's called adjustment disorder, okay. right? And it can be anything that's happened within six months that you're having a hard time adjusting to, right? Sure. So I think we can all plug in like X for that and yeah. and say like, yeah, that fits the bill. Um, but that's a lot of what we do, you know. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to have a true like quote unquote serious mental health diagnosis or disorder in order to come in to therapy. Yeah, um, we would rather you come in before it gets to that point too. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any huge questions lingering at this point, but I will go ahead and say for those listening, if you have any questions that you would um, love for Jamie or Dan or any of the folks we've talked to to field and another follow-up, um, send an email to gracematters at 
graceccnc.org. Um, and we'd love to continue these conversations. Yeah. Um, thank you, Jamie, very much for taking time to sit down and talk through this. And I probably won't edit it out. I'll leave in Charlotte crying <laughs> down the hallway uh, yes. as, uh, as she walked by while she was carried by. Um, so, yeah, so thanks for working it out in your schedule. And uh, we're grateful for all the ways that you and your husband will serve at Grace. Um, so thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. And um, appreciate the, the graciousness to have Charlotte outside of the door. Yeah. Is still navigating that <laughs> yep. five-month-old. No, that's so. awesome. <laughs> thanks, David. Uh, see ya. Thanks again to Jamie for taking the time for the conversation and to her mom for watching Charlotte for the most of that time. We're glad that we had the opportunity to sit down and I look forward to the next episode in which I'll sit down with David Dermont and continue to unpack this conversation and these issues surrounding mental health. Again, please hit us up if you have any questions about this content or any of the things that we've talked about in Grace Matters. You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.